Can you tell me your Jello recipe, Bill? You see, the only recipe that I got is staying hot, baby. Ooh, Jello Kodak. So you're saying there's nothing particularly special in the Jello? It's sugar. And here in the pin, you can get some sugar for a few cigarettes, and it's okay. I think you've had a bit too much sugar throughout your entire life, Bill. You see, can I offer you a drink? You know what? I think I need one. Thank you. This feels very nice. Oh. I win! Welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, a Superhouse podcast. This is the man who knows too much about Batman. This is Ben Juan, and I'm here with... This is Wolfie, and I know too much about dirty socks. And this is Andrew, and I know way too much about crusty sho- socks. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> two of those things we will not be talking about today, but uh, again, this is, we are going into part two of our coverage of Batman Quits Twice. I mean, The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> oh! Last time. It was a tour de force. Shots fired. Of cinema. Last time we had an hour and a half episode for the first minute and a half of the movie. So here we go. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> we, we covered maybe like 20 minutes of it. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we're continuing our discussion. Hey, that's good. So if you guys haven't heard part one, stop this and go back to last week's episode where we covered the first say 20 minutes or so of The Dark Knight Rises, a lot of the reasons why the first episode is overloaded is because that's when all they introduce all the new characters, and we got to talk about them. So now we can kind of get a little bit more into the plot stuff for this time in terms of comparing movie to comics. Uh, and oh, what a plot. Yes. What a plot indeed. <laughs> what a plot so, indeed. Indeed, yes. So last time, I believe the score was 4 to 0, <laughs> with <laughs> comics at 4 and movie at 0. Dude, Four if the movie zero. gets a single point in this whole thing, <laughs> I'll be very uh, uh, surprised. <laughs> we'll see, and I don't yeah. hate the movie, but it's just not as good as the others. <laughs> yes, yes. So I thought I would preface this episode by taking some time to talk about one of the comics that I talked about last time, which is a little bit more of the obscure comic book influence on this movie, which is a 1988 comic called The Cult. Uh, it's with art by Bernie Wrightson, and the writer is Jim Starlin, who's very familiar to superhero fans because on the Marvel side, he's the one who wrote The Infinity Gauntlet, which then oh, right. got turned into cool. Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, and then on the Batman side, he was the writer... Uh, who had to kill off Jason Todd when everybody voted to kill off Jason Todd? So oh, that was him. Oh yes. man, I think Heavy he also is famous for a famous for a Spectre run. Am I wrong? I think in the mid '90s, everybody talks about that Spectre run. Respect the Spectre. He might have. I mean, he seems pretty prolific. But yeah, the 1988 comic is very much influenced by The Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns in terms of the art, but it's a, it has a lot more connections to the Dark Knight Rises than the Dark Knight Returns comic. Uh, so it's the, the villain in that is a is an original villain named Deacon Blackfire, who claims to be like this immortal oh, shaman, which they obviously didn't carry over into this one, but he at one point recruits homeless people to join in his army and use the sewers as like their their uh, headquarters so that they can plot Whoa. down their way to clean up the, the city, which is kind of what's in the Dark Knight Rises uh, over here. 
there's even stuff about how like they've been able to clean up the streets the streets are now empty and without any crime which is similar to the beginning of the movie where hey the harvey dent act right wiped out so many crime you know so many criminals that at the most they're going after jaywalkers and all that so uh very much an influence there's other elements too that we'll get into but uh since we're we left off around the time where we were exploring bane hiding out in the sewer this seemed like the appropriate time to bring that up funny <laughs> funny enough they did actually ask jim starlin about his opinion about the dark knight rises as well as whether or not it was an influence on the cult he personally said he couldn't see it and that he had talked to uh, dan didio uh, over at dc who uh, claimed that most of the movie was based off of stories that Chuck Dixon wrote. And Chuck Dixon's who we mentioned in the our Contagion Part 2 episode, who is the co-creator of Bane, as well as the writer behind Nightfall, uh, those, Contagion, those Contagion comics, as well as No Man's Land. So, inter- The main thing here is they, they're drawing a connection between how the villain recruits people. Yeah. And Bane was sort of doing that, but that seems like such a... I don't know, man. That could be in anything. That seems like such a space basic idea. I think it could be, but you'll. There's other things in here. So so okay, far, I'm, I'm okay. only capturing the preliminary stuff. Uh, okay. But Starlin himself couldn't see it. He was also asked what he what his favorite adaptations of Batman were. He said he liked the first two of the Dark Knight trilogy, but he said, "quote I'm one of the few people around that thought the last movie fell apart and didn't work." I don't the know Joker if he's necessarily one? in the minority. No, he, he was referring to The Dark Knight Rises. Oh. Uh, which is probably why he didn't uh, <laughs> he didn't want to acknowledge any influence of the cult on it, it sounds like. Right. But, all right, let's get back into it. So we left off with Selena Kyle at the bar Ooh, uh, yeah. and Gordon about to be captured. And uh, Gordon sort of follows all the men down in the sewers where they get trapped. Uh, Blake himself suggests that they go in and rescue him, but Matthew Modine says no and calls Blake a hothead for the rest of the, the movie, which I always thought was funny because Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like the calmest hothead in the history of cop shows at this point, <laughs> just given his general demeanor. I'm like, he just wanted to go in and save the dude. Uh, but yeah, here's uh, an interesting thing that comes up is that Gordon gets captured there and uh, Bane when he looks through Gordon, uh, he finds the speech, the speech that Gordon wrote about Harvey Dent. Uh, but the thing is, that was like a night or two ago. He still has the speech in, in his coat pocket. Bane just kind of happens to stumble upon it. I always thought it would be more interesting if Bane had already known that element right. of the, them covering up the Harvey Dent thing and didn't just like mm-hmm. coincidentally find the speech. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, Gordon, to- I mean, Bane tosses Gordon down the sewer, and uh, that whole idea of Gordon spending at some point getting captured getting pulled out of the sewer by Robin, that is also in the cult, but not with Gordon's character, but with Batman. So at one point, Batman himself is captured by Deacon Blackfire and spends some time in, in, in the sewers with them, uh, and then Robin is the one who has to kind of rescue him. So okay. that does lead into the infamous Wayne Manor scene where Blake shows up uh, to talk to Bruce, knowing that Bruce Wayne is Batman because he's the world's greatest detective and he somehow already knows, based off of a look years ago, that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Uh, Gotta get this plot moving along somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, At one point, he mentions, quote, uh, that one of his superior officers would ask if he saw any giant alligators down in the sewer, which could be a potential reference to Killer Croc, considering that Killer Croc was considered to be one of the villains. 
in this movie. I think that that definitely that's not a stretch to say that at all. Yeah, definitely yeah. they put that in there. I thought maybe because you know alligators in the sewers is kind of like a general urban legend, but considering that Killer Croc was actually considered and Nolan is familiar with that character, I'm like, eh, yeah. it probably is likely then. That's, that's what I always read it as. Yeah, where it's just like, hey, we couldn't use you, but we'll just tip our hat to that. Enjoy uh, the rest of the movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Blake in this scene actually shows some influence from a couple of the other Robins. So he reveals that his mom died in a car accident and his dad was killed, uh, murdered uh, over a gambling debt, which is probably what led him to become a cop in the first place. Uh, this is somewhat similar to the Jason Todd origin, uh, post-crisis version of the Jason Todd origin. Jason Todd had like two different origins in the uh, in the 80s when he was first introduced but the the one that they stuck with later on was one where his mom died of a disease and his father uh, was murdered by Two-Face. His father was a criminal himself. So uh, I always thought since he was such a good detective in this movie I thought John Blake was supposed to be Tim Drake out of all of them just a because Tim Drake is like the smartest Robin, right? Pretty much. Right, right. Which then, so. which brings me. This is a good segue. Thank you, Andrew. To ah, Tim Drake. I read the lines between, <laughs> yes, <he laughs> betwixt, betwixt and between. That's me. Yes. So Tim Drake does. Uh, he first showed up in 1989 in a story called "A Lonely Place of Dying" by Marv Wolfman, who's the guy who's the mastermind behind a lot of the Teen Titans comics, like the Judas Contract and um, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So. Uh, Tim- By the way, we can all assume that Marv Wolfman got laid so many times in high school based on his, his name, name alone. <laughs> the Wolfman. <laughs> Get the Wolfman a beer. <laughs> Wolfman's here. Party can begin. I don't think he ever even paid for beer, dude. <laughs> hey, your name is Wolfman? Anybody know whose house this on is? On the house. <laughs> on the house, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Crack him another oh, one. <laughs> the legendary Marv Wolfman brought in Tim Drake, and Tim Drake uh, first shows up to talk oh, to boy. Dick Grayson and says to Dick Grayson, you got to become Robin again. And Dick Grayson is like, who the hell are you and how do you know this? So this is very similar to what happens in the movie. In the comic, it's revealed that Tim, when he was very young, was in the audience when the Graysons died. Uh, so he had seen the whole trapeze act. And then years later, when there was footage of Batman and Robin fighting, he noticed that Robin did the same uh, ap- acrobatic move that he saw during the Flying Grayson's performance. And he realizes that must mean that Robin is Dick Grayson, which then subsequently means that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Uh, and if that sounds somewhat <laughs> familiar to our listeners, it's because if you go way back to the Batman Forever script deep dive, that was how the Riddler originally figured out that Bruce Wayne was Batman. It wasn't through the whole, like, oh, Bruce Wayne just happened to step into the box type of thing. It was more of, like, there was footage of Robin doing stuff that was very similar to what Riddler had seen Dick Grayson do at the circus. Mm. So, uh, that, that would have cool. been better. Yeah, but in any case, yeah, that definitely would have been better. <laughs> I'm going to say that a lot, I think. <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, well, so Tim is sharing this to try to persuade Dick Grayson to become Robin again in the movie. Blake is trying to share all this to persuade Bruce Wayne to become Batman again. And in this version, uh, Blake claims that he figured it out because Bruce Wayne at some point visited his orphanage and he noticed that Bruce Wayne was trying to hide the pain. And for whatever reason, he went from Bruce Wayne is angry to Bruce Wayne must be Batman. 
Again, world's greatest detective here. It was that cute little sachet he had when he sauntered in. I knew I'd seen it before. Don't you do that. Don't you do that to me. had a deep impact in my life. Yes. This is all your fault. You know that. So that that brings us to the first... It brings us to the first comics versus Nolan thing. We have the comic book version where Tim Drake figured it out. I'm going to just vote already. (laughs) Comics. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just expedite it. (laughs) (laughs) You're stupid. I like in past episodes, I have to like re-explain what the competition is, but here everyone's just like, no, no, we we know what this one's going to be. <laughs> we weren't, I remember that, we weren't like used to, <laughs> I don't know, we weren't used to it yet at the time. Go, go ahead, I'm sorry, pl- explain it, I'm sorry about that. All right, so Blake figuring out off of a look from Bruce when he was in an orphanage, or Tim Drake figuring out by going to the Flying Grayson's performance and then seeing the footage later and putting two and two together. I think that the comic slash the early script is way cooler. You mean the Batman Forever early script? Because that's, yeah. that's the one I was referring yeah. to. Yeah, where there was more of a connection to Robin. Yeah, yeah. And, and in terms of, yeah, like Jiggles is a great <laughs> is a great pick for a Robin. It was kind of like a missed opportunity just to take a nod at it. But hey. Yeah. Like he would have been a great Nightwing. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, I, he, yeah, they missed that. Now he's like a little too old for Nightwing, probably. Oh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, there, there's an Elseworlds, com- Elseworlds comic as well called Nine Lives that's sort of set in like this film noirish era, and that's where Dick Grayson is kind of a private detective, and he shows up at Wayne Manor yeah. and says that he's figured out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But again, it's, like, it's similar stuff because he used deduction because he's a private detective. Uh, right. And deductions that make sense rather than like, I saw yeah. the way you look. That told me you're Batman. I'm like, what? <laughs> I like how Dick Grayson has that history of being a cop as well. Yeah, yeah. For a little they, bit. That, I always yeah, thought that was yeah. really cool because it's just that other side of the education that he didn't get from Bruce in terms mm-hmm. of like justice and how the system is corrupt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, it's it's probably you what they drew off hand. Of on that. Yeah. And you can see like, Hey, like maybe Bruce was right in terms of taking the matter, the law into his own hands, considering how tied up the, uh, the system. Can yeah. Be. Yeah. Uh, Blake also mentions he went to a Catholic orphanage called St. Swithin's. And there is actually a version of Dick Grayson's origin to, as Robin, where he spends some time in a Catholic orphanage. Uh, though instead of father Riley, who's the priest in the, um, in the movie, it was a, a nun named Sister Mary Elizabeth, uh, but that was featured in uh, Batman Year Three, also by Marv Wolfman. Uh, funny enough, uh, hey, but, <laughs> the Wolfman. But I think I think an easy fix to this is if Blake, like, I'm okay with Blake figuring out that Bruce Wayne is putting on an act, but how the fuck did he know that he was Batman off of that? It's never explained in that way. It's like I get that you see the persona. But how does he reach that? So I think if they added more about stuff that happened in the previous movie, he's just an orphan looking together. for somebody to adopt him. Yeah, pretty much. he says that to every yeah. stranger that comes by. You're you Batman. Batman. You're you Bat Daddy. Yes, <laughs> I hurt. Sorry but I think to if he was just like, hey, like Bruce Wayne is believed dead for seven years, and then he comes back right around the time Batman first appears, that can't be a coincidence. And then. Joker attacks Harvey Dent's campaign party and Bruce Wayne disappears but then Batman shows up can't be a coincidence Bruce Wayne happens to go be reclusive in Wayne Manor right after Harvey Dent's death and and Batman's an outlaw also can't be a coincidence if he said all that stuff out loud I'd be like okay now I get it 
it makes sense he's clearly you know a good detective as opposed to somebody with like a supernatural power of figuring out that Bruce is Batman just based off of the look I get a tingle in my butt cheeks (laughs) I don't know why I keep thinking tingle in my jingle (laughs) jiggles jiggles nipples jiggles jingles (laughs) my nose hairs stand on end anytime I'm in the presence of a superhero yes But here, oh, after man. after Jiggles leaves, uh, Bruce decides to finally shave his quarantine yeah. beard, and uh, but he does not get a haircut. All right, I think I think it's been long enough. <laughs> and then he goes. Ahead Boy, this is gonna hurt. Wayne. <laughs> he goes ahead and visits Wayne Enterprises, where Lucius Fox gives him a tour of R and D, which I always thought was kind of forced because Bruce is like, "I'm retired," and Lucius is just like, "I'll just show you anyway, so that we can get this type of scene out of the way." Uh, and show you the bat, which is the next yeah. thing that's up. So the bat is the kind of the Nolan verse version of either the bat wing or bat plane or the bat copter. Uh, but obviously, this uh, this also like was a letdown to me yeah. because I'm a very big fan of the bat wing. Same. I I think it's great. Like the that scene in the Burton one, you know, taking the balloons is etched in my memory forever. Mm-hmm. And that design, I had the toy, all that, like a lot of people did. And it's just like, I don't know, it's very enjoyable when Batman's flying around in a plane mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah. And this this is like the, the tumbler, but worse. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we could do no a whole, wheels. like, dude, deep dive into the Batplane. Let's do that someday. Yeah. Time to start reading the Batplane comics. <laughs> All the iterations of the <laughs> Batplane and how he got his pilot's license and all that. Ben. Yes. <laughs> that that well, could be incredible. We should anyway, write let's, that's for, for another day. <laughs> yes. I, I'll, I'll look into it. Maybe I'll head that episode up later. All right. Well, now we have your opinion on the Bat. What did you think of, quote unquote, the Bat, Wolfie? Um, I didn't mind it. I thought it was cool just because it was like new and different and some shit was finally happening on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You're wrong. Some stuff was finally happening on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I kidding. did something. That's like near the end of the movie. Um, I thought it was kind of cool. I guess in the age of like the drone, I'm like, oh, just extrapolate that technology somehow, and somebody could do it. Um, I didn't hate it so much. It's definitely not a bat wing. Yeah. But I was kind of glad that they shoehorned in a vehicle. I'm a, I'm an action figure guy. I'm glad they had a vehicle to look at and <laughs> mm-hmm. to kind of send the rest the end of that movie off. Did you buy the bat crab, dude, from <laughs> from Justice League, whatever the fuck that was? <laughs> no. Nice crawler. K. The crawler. K, oh, the, K. the bat crawler. I know. I thought that was so stupid, too. <sighs> nah, man. Not all vehicles are made equal. Yeah. You're a vehicleist. I'm a vehicleist. Yes. That's right. So what about the bat compared to the one in the comics in terms of preference? If we're going to do a comics versus Oh, oh sorry. Thing. Yeah. Um, comics, for sure. Yeah. Anything. No, I agree. But that. I was. I like how you're just skipping me now because you know the yeah, answer. I already knew the answer. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I didn't even. Ask- need, I didn't even say five to zero at the last part with Blake. I was just automatic. I didn't even state that I prefer the comics than the last one. I think it's just, oh, right. I feel like it's already understood at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Wolfie, you're going with the comics. Andrew, I'm already assuming and deduced that you would go with the comics. Deduced, uh, deduced that uh, I'm sure the audience has, has deduced that I would go with the comics as well on this because I think it's stupid to call a vehicle the bat when it doesn't actually look like a bat. Like the tumbler makes sense because they made like Lucius made it before Batman even existed, 
so that makes sense right. but for him to come up with an aircraft for batman in case batman ever came back and to make it look like a flying lobster i'm just yeah. like that looks dumb boring not fun yeah so at least the tumbler looked like a little bit like a toy like a little bit yeah this this looked nothing like anything yeah so Can you tell him against it yeah <laughs> I actually am pretty passionate about the bat plane yes. in general. Yeah, no, and there's nothing. There would have been nothing wrong with doing some sort of stuff like the the bat the Batwing in uh, the Snyderverse, uh, the one that's in yeah. Batman vs Superman. I mean, that's that's a nice combination yeah. of the quote unquote realistic stealth fighter jet mixed with a bat looking uh, design on it. So I was pretty like, if they, if they just use that, then that I would have been okay with it. You know, I still would prefer the Burton one, but still, like it, it at least would have looked somewhat bat like But when I first saw this, in either it was either set pictures or something else, and I was just like, uh, just fuck this. Like this is not. <laughs> I'm just not a big fan. I don't fan know of about this. this. So, all right. So we are. Uh, what are we at? Like, is it six? To, I've lost track already. Let's the see. Score? Last episode was four to zero. We Blake six, was five to zero, so we're six to zero now. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then after this, we go into the cameo that took, definitely took Andrew and me out of the movie. I don't know about you, yeah. Wolfie, but this is the scene where Bruce was it the Donald Trump movie. cameo? No, actually. <laughs> I loved that yes, part. Yes. Then Macaulay Culkin shows up. Yes. <laughs> Batman's like, "Where's the trigger?" And Donald Trump's like, "Over there." <laughs> uh, no, it was Thomas Lennon's cameo as the doctor telling him he's got no cartilage in his knee uh and he's famous for being in <laughs> you've got no bones batman he got, he got no bones. all your bones are gone yes uh i think this was done as a favor for lennon or because of the fact that thomas lennon had previously played a doctor in memento actually way before he became right. known as thomas lemon lennon <laughs> what did he the, do he, what did he do reno nine reno nine one one oh he's a he's pretty comedic actor yeah. and he's the blonde guy no, no, no. Look up Dr. Dark Knight Rises right now. Yeah. Dr. I mean, Dark he, Knight Rises. It's just, it's like, oh, Nolan chose this guy? Because it, it could was be, just yeah. weird. Because Nolan's not like a real big comedic guy. Yeah. He, has, he does have humor in his movies to a certain degree, but. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like. It was, it, all, it was off. It, it was trying to do a humorous scene because he's just like, you got no cartilage in your knee. Everything's fucked up in your body. Like, that was. They were trying to play it off for laughs, but I think because of just the nature of what he's associated with as well as just the serious nature of the rest of the the tone it's kind of just like okay this is this wasn't really needed you know he does look like a doctor i give him that in the the robe like he doesn't look weird wearing oh yeah that guy uniform yeah gotta be honest i didn't even notice who he was that's the new boot goofing guy new boots who just new boot goofing about reno 911 i've actually never seen it yeah new boot new boot goofing (laughs) You should. He did watch actually. More he Rina. he showed up again though in the DC universe because he played Mister Mixias Pitalik in really? Supergirl. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. And that seems like in, way better casting. I choose movie for my vote on this category. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, he's but okay. the best. <laughs> Thomas Lemon. Tom, yeah. We'll just go over that then. Thomas Lemon. <laughs> the Doctor Lemon. Does mention that Bruce's <laughs> liver is fine and implies that uh, Bruce should take up drinking, which then sort of cements the idea of Bruce doesn't drink alcohol, as we saw in The Dark Knight when he dumps the champagne over the railing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Self-sploosh. This is very much in contrast <laughs> to uh, 
Ben Affleck's Batman, who went immediately upon waking up, <laughs> like, grabs the red wine bottle. Yeah, you know what? There was so much wrong with that, I forgot that they fucked that part up, too. God damn it. Well, you they know... They turned Batman into a drunk. They, the Dark Knight returned, you know, not to make this personal about Affleck's own struggles with sobriety, but... To be fair, in The Dark Knight Returns, the whole line from Alfred being just like, hey, you know, I hope the, you know, I hope the next generation of Waynes don't have to go through an empty wine cellar. Like, that part is actually in uh, The Dark Knight Returns. It's a, it's a direct lift from that, and Bruce is drinking wine while watching it. All right. All right so, not to mention in Batfleck days, aliens came and fucked yeah. everything up. I mean, yeah. I think everybody <laughs> kind of <laughs> let loose a little yeah, bit on a vice point. or two. It's interesting because Miller is the one who also came up with the idea of Bruce trying to substitute club soda for any, like, mixed drinks type of stuff. Or he says at one point that <clears throat> he substituted ginger ale uh, and while well, everyone thought he was drinking champagne. I bet Bruce had a bad hookup one time and he's like, not doing that again. <laughs> that's why. That's what started it. So I guess it was implied <laughs> that in his older age, this Bruce Wayne just lets loose and starts drinking. But it was like only, it's only like one scene in Dark Knight Returns, just like one scene in Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Uh, but... We'll, we'll cover that when we get to the Batman vs. Superman Bat deep dive. But back to the Dark Knight Returns. I mean, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> whatever this is. Whatever the fuck this thing is. Uh, <laughs> he then goes from visiting the doctor to visiting a wounded Gordon in the hospital, which has another parallel to the cult. In the cult, Commissioner uh. Gordon is wounded in the hospital, and Batman shows up uh, for the first time during this whole conflict uh, and talks to Gordon about how he's back. So... Similar uh, similar scene here. In terms of other similar scenes, we then go into the costume party uh, where Bruce Wayne dances with Selena Kyle, which I always thought was an interesting callback to Batman Returns. Yeah, bit, I know? was thinking the same thing when I saw that. Yeah, uh, except this time Selena's actually in a mask as opposed to Batman Returns right. where they deliberately show up without masks on as kind of yeah. a nice poetic thing. But I always felt like... Is that a batter anger or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> Remember, she doesn't know it's Bruce Wayne yet. I mean, she doesn't know he's Batman yet. Oh, is that a uh, million bucks in your pocket? <laughs> First time I ever heard that 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 type of joke was was who framed Roger Rabbit. And I was so young, I did not get it. <laughs> what does he mean? Is that a, I think they said banana. Is that a banana in your pocket? Or are you happy to see me? And I'm I'm like five watching it. Like, oh, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. You start carrying we'll bananas you in your pocket. Yeah, girls uh, like them. Get this kid so, the hell out of here. Go the to the first principal's time. office. Sorry. It's the first time that Bruce has stepped back in the public eye, and uh, he also gets to meet Miranda Tate, a.k.a. Talia, uh, who at one point says, quote, you have to invest to restore balance to the world, which I think was another hint at being Talia, since one of Ra's al Ghul's lines in Batman Begins was how justice is balance. So all this right. balance talk before Thanos came into the picture. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Starlin. Yes. Uh, but the scene... I don't know. I always felt like this this dance scene was forgettable in comparison to the big scene in Batman Returns with the whole mistletoe can be deadly when you eat it. Because like there's something significant happens in there where it's just like they figure out each other's identities. Like the main a big thing term. that I remember from this scene is that they say the term cat burglar. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, because she's never actually called Catwoman in the entire movie. She's called it in the in the script actually, but she's never actually formally called Catwoman. Like Batman's oh, called shit. Batman. Uh, which, again, I always thought was lame, because I'm just like, you literally have a character named Batman. You can't say yeah. Catwoman. It's stupid. Uh, but yeah. Doesn't track. Doesn't track. Um, yeah. Bruce, later on, goes back to the Batcave, where Lucius Fox is finally 
well, not Lucius Fox, finally. Lucius Fox seems to have already made a leg brace for him. Bruce has just decided after eight years to finally put it on. Uh, so he puts it on to his damaged knee uh, so that he can do stuff like kick a... It was like a concrete pillar or something like that in the uh, in the scene. But this is sort of similar because at one point in The Dark Knight Returns, he wears a brace uh, on his arm before going up against the mutant leader in that comic. But uh, more importantly in the scene, this is where Alfred tells Bruce that uh, I guess through Alfred's MI6 or SAS context that he has learned that Bane is a member of the League of Shadows on here. Uh, they never will explain how he knows me and my that he's friends. part of the League. He's just like, rumor has it, he's part of the League of Shadows. And I'm just like, okay, well, how do you know, how do you know that? Like, who told Alfred, you rumor that? has it, we have to move the plot along. <laughs> Information that could have been useful days ago. <laughs> yeah. God damn it, I had to wait on a text from my friends <laughs> in the jungle. I put it as the wa- the wallpaper on the back computer, but you never look at it anymore. Alfred just gets passive aggressive as fuck. Yeah. I reconnected on Facebook with my old buddy of mine, and he told me <laughs> that Bane's part of the League of Shadows. <laughs> that, that part is not part of this backstory in the comics. Like Bane <laughs> did get associated with League of Assassins in the episode that we did cover on uh, Batman Legacy, where he sort of took on the Ubu role for Ra's al Ghul, and uh, because of the fact that Bane failed in defeating Batman, Ra's al Ghul called off his engagement with Talia. Similar to how it says that Ra's excommunicated Bane from the League of Shadows. Ubu never did his job very well! <laughs> so I... I'm the Ubu, Ubu was fired! Ubu, I Ubu. took him to... <laughs> <laughs> Without <laughs> pension, <laughs> I took him downtown or severance. Very far pain. away. He's in a farm upstate. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to find. Yeah, I took him to a farm upstate. I don't even think he has car insurance. <laughs> Geico, the gecko, also not that entertaining. His accent not as cool as mine. <laughs> Weirdly enough, there have been three different versions of Ra's al Ghul in live action, and none of them have had Ubu whatsoever. So, what do you think that is? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's his name. I don't know. Like, it sounds racist. Maybe. Yeah, honestly. I think so. Like, totally. <laughs> you have a motherfucker named Ubu. It doesn't sound doesn't track very well. I mean, also, but keep in mind, like, is it that is that part problematic, or the fact we have an Arab terrorist villain name, who's literally named the Demon's Head? I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, yeah. Some would say it's problematic. Yes. Um, in here, I always <laughs> felt like they could have cut out Alfred conveniently reconnecting to his Facebook friends from the army to find out about Bane, because I think that it would have been <laughs> more interesting to find out that Bane was part of the League when Batman faces off with him in the sewer. <laughs> My Bane... prostate is as the size of a tangerine. <laughs> Long time no talk. How's the wife? <laughs> Hope you got our flowers last month. That's my Alfred. He's Sean Connery. That would have been interesting. <laughs> Connery as Alfred in these movies. Batman, why don't you just wrap her in the face? <laughs> oh my god. Just wrap her a good one. She'll give you back the diamond. Discipline a good cat woman. <laughs> Alfred, I'll no longer take advice from you. <laughs> Please stop watching Fox News. <laughs> Alfred has become a Trumper, dude. <laughs> Who's writing Alfred? Oh, it's me. <laughs> Bob Kane, once again, you see? Why don't we just take away their votes? Yes. <laughs> take away their votes. <laughs> Alfred, yeah, Gerrymandering is the greatest idea I've ever heard. You're being a racialist, Alfred. 
I won't have it in my home. <laughs> then Alfred finally gets a character arc. It'd be wonderful. Uh, I, I, I understand would... now, Bruce. <laughs> I understand what it means to love. <laughs> you sound like fucking Jon Snow or something. I know, I'm going <laughs> all over Alfred. the map here. <laughs> British guy, British guy. Bruce Way, it's time to talk about white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> that you grew up with. Oh, man. I watched this one YouTube video. We're getting off topic, but hell, <laughs> gives a fuck. Um, this guy... This, uh, I think he was Asian American. He's interviewing people like what looks like Venice Beach or something, mm-hmm. some beachy area, and he's like asking them about the chonkla, which is you know sandal, like <laughs> chonkla. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know why this Asian dude. He looks it's like he's like Vietnamese. Like is this Jones Ronnie Chang on Daily Show, or is this somebody completely different? No, no, no. This is a YouTuber, okay. and he's like talking to white people. You ever heard of the chonkla? And most people, most people haven't. Some people have. And uh, he he talks to this one guy. He's like, "Hey, man, where are you from?" And he goes, "I am from Italy." And then he goes, "Oh, you're white as shit." <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you're if you're European, you're extra white. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that shit's hilarious to me, man. <sighs> okay, Jesus. back yeah, back to no, the yeah, back to, back to this. I, I I always felt that it was a more dramatic reveal if you get you don't know Bane's connection to League of Shadows, or if you heard heard about it, it's not revealed in the movie yet until. Batman has to face off against him, and then, you know, Bane has that line where he's just like, theatricality and deception are powerful agents to the uninitiated, but we are initiated. Like, that would be like, oh, fuck, like, he's part of the League of Shadows, you know? I don't want to play cookie with you, Bane. (laughs) I don't want to play. So, that is, that's what could have happened. But instead, like, they, this is the first scene to sort of bring up the idea that Bruce Wayne in this movie has kind of a death wish. Not like a Charles Bronson-type death wish, but it's still, like, Wayne says at one point, like, that's that's what you're afraid of, that if I go back out there, I'll fail. And Alfred's like, no, I'm afraid that you want to. So that idea apparently was discussed over lunch by Nolan and Goyer when they were actually brainstorming this. And uh, Goyer said... We thought, what if Bruce is suicidal? Almost death by Batman. (laughs) He doesn't see any version of his life where he doesn't die as Batman. He doesn't see a version of his life where he can live as Bruce Wayne. Once we came up with that idea, we knew there was a third story we could tell. Get this, one where he escaped all of this. The shadow of his father, him escaping, the bat, being able to let go and put it away. Do you have a tissue I could use? Uh, no, sorry, Mr. Actually! Yeah. <laughs> I just pictured him as a sniveling little sneveler. Did you know they made She-Hulk just because they wanted to have somebody to fuck She-Hulk? That's Goyer said shit like that. Everybody, yeah, if you know, no. if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Goyer, David Goyer, She-Hulk. Oh it's, no, it's fucking right, insane. Good. I don't feel yeah. bad for lambasting him then. Hulk, Hulk <laughs> needed somebody to fuck or something like that. Like, whoa, dude, what are you saying right yeah, now, man? No. So is he basically bad. saying that they went with the idea that like the pressure of being Batman got to him, and he couldn't also be Bruce Wayne, so he had to. That's why he was feeling like he needed to give up. I think it was more of yeah. I think it was more of an idea though of like he doesn't feel like there's anything worth living for. So Self-imposed warrior's would, yeah. death. Yeah. So he would he would if he was going to die he was going to die as Batman because of Rachel. Yeah. Apparently she was cuter. So she was a little. Ditzy. She's a little self-righteous. <laughs> the Katie Holmes version, at least. At least. I don't know how you guys felt about this, but this this idea of him wanting to die as Batman, I don't, I don't hate it. I think this the no, idea in and of itself is, yeah. is okay. I agree. I just think it, it's more powerful if this was one where he's still been Batman and destroying his body for eight years, not like 
You haven't yeah. even gone out there, and you're going to want right. to die as Batman. Yeah. I'm just like, it doesn't right, quite right, right. add up because he hasn't been Batman. It'd be cool, yeah, if he had that death wish, and that just led him kind of yeah. further along. Like, I think this it's kind of a mess here because he, as I said, his Batman quits twice. Like, he quit before this movie, and at the end he quits. Like, it would have been a more yeah. simple arc <laughs> if, like, he is, like, full-on Batman. Bruce Wayne is, can still be a recluse because that still works for the plot, but he's a recluse because Batman is going out there 24-7 wrecking shit so that he can, like, get over this grief over what happened with Harvey Dent and, and Rachel and what happened with the Joker, uh, and it's about him trying to escape from that from that shadow. So... I'd say you either go in that direction where he escapes from the shadow and then it gets the happy ending at the end, or you go the reverse where he comes back out of retirement because Batman is the only thing that he knows and then, you know, yeah. dies in the suit. Like, it's it's, it's just simpler. It feels like they wanted to do all of those things in one story. What if we found out that Bruce Wayne was actually paying all these actors and theater kids to be bad guys and the entire thing was staged just so he could act like he was a superhero? <laughs> That's in Neil Gaiman's Whatever Happened to the Cake Crusader, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah. What? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, it's a version where there's different people talking at Batman's funeral, talking about different ways he, quote unquote, died to them. So it was like people from different worlds. And Alfred's mm. talking about how, you know, once Batman started taking down the regular criminals, it just didn't really get fun anymore. He would succumb to the traumas and stuff. So he started paying off some theater actors. To, to be characters, but there still wasn't enough because there was no arch enemy. So Alfred goes in front of the mirror and he puts on some white face makeup and some lipstick and dons <laughs> a green wig and what? he becomes the Joker. Alfred Whoa. was the Joker <laughs> in that in that Elseworlds. My version, Bruce would just be an inept trust fund baby who just <laughs> wouldn't learn, wouldn't follow any rules. So in order to occupy his time, they convinced him that he was to become a superhero by faking his parents' death so they could go on vacation <laughs> year-round. And he would pay all the kids from his high school to be villains, and he'd beat them up and never pay them off, really. But then just... Anyway. Basically, Batman without the trauma. <laughs> Billy <laughs> Madison, essentially, with... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> with the bat cape. Adam Sandler is Batman. <laughs> yes! Thank you for beating the shit out of me! <laughs> I would love to see that movie. I'm Batman! <laughs> nudie magazine day oh the penguin who shows up with his girlfriend i mean come on there's a billy madison deep dive here somewhere where the parallels there is a penguin of batman there's a big ass penguin in <laughs> yeah in billy madison oh my god we're through the then you cross over here. some lucius fox is teaching him how to golf because it's carl weathers again and just oh my <laughs> god it in. and rich people golf and batman is rich <laughs> oh shit this guys, tracks, bro. This tracks. Delete your email addresses right now. We're fucked. Bob, <laughs> Bob Barker is Ross Hawkool. He's an old guy yeah. who beats the shit out of Dude, him. Yes. This, this, this is works, actually. <laughs> uh, it would have been better than this. All right, so after this is the stock exchange sequence, which is Bane's like, first time showing up in Gotham uh, publicly. Or so, and there's kind of more threads of class warfare here because a lot of his men are in disguise. You know, there's a dude who's like in disguise, like a shoeshine dude, uh, and all that. But yeah, that, that continues the idea of like the rich are the ones who are the bad guys in this. You've got these like asshole stock trader dudes who you don't really feel sorry for when Bane sort of messes around with them. Uh, outside, the police show up, and uh, one interesting thing I caught in the theater was uh, the SWAT leader has a name tag that says Allen. 
on that, which I always wondered if that's a reference to Detective Crispus Allen, who's a uh, famous African-American GCPD detective who at one point becomes the Spectre. It's mm. Alan Scott, bro. That's the Green Lantern, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? It's <laughs> Barry <laughs> Allen. He's actually... Alan Scott? Yeah, he, was he the he's, original? He's, he's the... Uh... Yeah, Alan Scott was the, uh, the original, original Green Lantern. Yeah. But this is... I'm talking about Crispus Allen. Yeah. I got yeah. you. I'm just messing around, yeah, I know, bro. I know. <laughs> so, Tim uh, Allen. <laughs> Tim time. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that shit's over with. <laughs> that shit was awful. Hey, he's so, still on TV. Did every girl yeah. in school back in the day want to fuck what's his name, by the way? JTT? That's why JTT's not famous anymore. He had to get out of the limelight. Too much pussy. <laughs> he was starting to get more pussy than Marv Wolfen. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get Mar- this guy Wolfen. off the grid. <laughs> That's why, why Mar Wolven did Crisis on Infinite Earth, so he could get rid of that shit. <laughs> yeah. He had a personal crisis in a in this like competition. JTT's trapped in the what's the Phantom Zone? The Phantom Zone, yeah, <laughs> yes. So I haven't heard from it anymore. Yeah, I saw so. it on YouTube. <laughs> this is like the Tiger Beat of our day in the '90s. Was was him? JTT, John yeah. and Taylor Thomas. Look yeah. him up John if you're a younger millennial. Yeah. Now it's a little Uzi Jesus. Vert. What's he doing these days anyway? He's uh, getting uh, that paycheck from being original Simba. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He probably got paid just, a he's fucking... He's drowning. Good. He probably needs help. He's drowning in pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. man. Him and Wolfman, dude. <laughs> Bob anyway, Kane's just watching in the Bob corner. Bob Kane's on the fence outside. Jealous, Let yeah. me in! Let <laughs> me in! Like Eric Andre. I deserve it. <laughs> Bane stock exchange then leads into the car chase where Batman shows up for the first time and he debuts with like this EMP gun uh, that he uses yes. a few times, yes. which uh, some people have pointed out is kind of similar to a sonic gun that Batman uses on Superman in The Dark Knight Returns. It's in like one panel or so, but mm. some people brought up the parallel. It could be, it could be a potential influence or it could just be, you know, Nolan wanting more toys for Batman. Uh, right. But in terms of the Dark Knight Returns influence, there is one notable part where there's like a rookie cop and a veteran cop, and the veteran cop sees Batman, and he's like, oh, you're in for a show tonight, son, which is right out of the Dark Knight Returns. However, in the Dark Knight Returns, it makes more sense that the cop would be excited because he would have teamed up with Batman. But in the movie, Batman's supposed to be a wanted murderer of Harvey Dent. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I don't know if that really makes any sense in this context because he should be like... <laughs> Fuck that guy. We're going after him. <laughs> Put the comic book down. Pay attention to what you're writing. <laughs> the way that the, the bad guys are wearing masks and riding on the motorcycles, mm-hmm. like they're doubled up on motorcycles, yeah. this is the only time in the whole Nolan trilogy where it sort of reminded me of the Schumacher films. There's something kind of like, I don't know, look at those panel, that like those shots again. Like it looks a little bit like very like classic henchman-y vibe, mm. which I, which I kind of liked. I hadn't really thought about that, yeah. Just the just those those. Was it the neon shots. spirals on their jackets? <laughs> they have like brightly colored masks, and the way that they're just riding yeah. on the motorcycle. There's something that kind of harkens back to that. I think. Yeah, just a little bit. But yeah, now Batman has returned, and so we will come back after the break to discuss more of the movie. But he's rise. He's risen. Ba-da-dun, oh wait, hasn't he hasn't rose yet? Yeah, not yet. Rise. I don't know. Arisen. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's Retro Gaming Shop. 
RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European, Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. I couldn't be away from my family that long. I love my family. This is your old Uncle Joker speaking, and you're listening to superhero stuff you should know. <laughs> and we have returned, just like Batman, to cover more of The Dark Knight Rises. And we're going to start with something juicy, which is a cat suit. So, oh. this is the first time that we see Catwoman in the actual Catwoman outfit. We didn't get to see her oh in the, any of the footage of the previous <laughs> in, the, in the previous parts of it. But what was interesting to me about the costume they gave to Hathaway is that it's very 1966. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. It looks like the Julie Newmar Catwoman, which I was surprised by. I think the very first picture... I don't, do you guys remember the very first picture of Hathaway in the Catwoman suit? I do not. Um, I think so. Do you remember it being her on the motorcycle? Yes. Yeah, okay, so it was, her, oh, it was yeah. her on the motorcycle, but she had the goggles on. Right. And it just kind of looked like she was Trinity from the Matrix or somebody. Because mm-hmm. there was no cat ears. It wasn't clear if she was wearing a mask or if it was sunglasses over a mask. Right. I think they were doing that just because they knew that people, since they were filming in public, in public you know locations, that people would see it. So they wanted to beat them to the punch. <clears throat> Take note, Matt Reeves. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> they, they wanted to release that first, but the problem is it just didn't, look evident that there was going to be any sort of disguise. There's no cowl uh, in this version, but I, I don't think we're... We can't really do... This is one of the rare times where we can't really do a comics versus Nolan one on it, because it is kind of based off of the comics. The, the 1966 Catwoman idea uh, came from a 1967 comic called Catwoman Sets Her Claws for Batman, though funny enough uh, her cat suit was green at the time, in the 60s. Oh. I don't know why, but... That's what it was, but that, that, that's the whole idea of sort of like the mask with the ears, but like the, the long flowing hair uh, and all that, which I thought was interesting considering how realistic Nolan likes to keep things. You would think that uh, her short, having her hair free like that would be very much a nightmare for uh, DNA and forensics and getting caught, so no wonder she's looking right. for a clean slate on it. I think you have to let some of that go because I mean <clears throat> you got like a guy the ba- Batman has his fucking half his face showing anyway. You know what I mean? Like I know, yeah. It's just some things you got to let go. Yeah, and it's not like like if 
for whatever reason, she was always in some sort of cowl, and then Nolan decided to just have her hair out, that would be weird. But since there's already a history of Catwoman with her hair out, ever since back to the first time she even put a uh, the, the 1940s classic Catwoman outfit, the purple, uh, that's almost like a dress, uh, she had her hair back out back then. So it's like, well, there's a history to that. Like, I get it. It's not... It's not something when I you cover up the hair, it doesn't look like a broad anymore. You see, <laughs> I need I need the hair showing. You see, <laughs> make the ears extra pointy. It goes straight from a ten plus broad right on down to a five. Thank you, Bob K. Yeah, uh, the only things that this version lacks is she doesn't have a whip. Uh, she has a gun though, or she uses a gun, uh, and she doesn't have claws. Uh, but her heel kind of is used in a similar way when she's going up against Daggett. So. That's right. Uh, those are kind of right. the, the only differences. But other than that, she shows up and she's clearly trying to go after John Daggett, who uh, has a line that many people ripped into for being super expositional where she says she's looking for the clean slate. And he says, quote, the clean slate, type in a name and date of birth. And within a couple hours, that person ceases to exist in any database. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, OK, I forgot um, about that. Funny enough, that software program does have a small tie-in to the comics in a uh, comic in Catwoman number one actually from 1993 uh, Catwoman mentions that she spent a lot of money on a custom virus to wipe out her real name from every press and law enforcement computer in the country so there is a precedent to that and that was uh, that was released around the same time as a lot of the Nightfall comics so it's possible that that was an actual influence uh, but I always thought this subplot was a little weird because it's just like well how much can it really completely clear her name? Because it's not like that's going to erase any like hard copies of anything or physical yeah. photographs on things. But whatever. Uh, in this case, she's trying to wipe away her troubled past, and she never really explains what it is. But if we go into the comics, you know, in, in Frank Miller's Year One, as we covered in our Aronofsky episode, um, she used to be a sex worker in the East End, uh, as well as uh, Jeff Loeb in The Long Halloween and Dark Victory implied that she might be the illegitimate daughter to Falcone. So, uh, and then Batman <laughs> shows up and Batman and Catwoman fight off some of Bane's goons and he flat out tells her, no guns, no killing, which he'll contradict later as we'll find out in the ending, but we'll get to that. But also, this was right... This came out with the Dark Knight shooting, right? So you, that was one of the things that I yeah. was like... This is cool. At least some way, you have like the hero literally being against guns, and we just had a mass shooting again right, in the theater. Yeah. So that that I remember like just historically met outside of the movie. This was you know it was that part was cool, of course. Did you see? Did you see it opening night and found out later about the shooting, or did you see this? Did you hear about the shooting and then you saw it? Like the day I saw the movie, like the day after the shooting or yeah, something, and I think that there was like a couple. I saw it in Burbank, I think. And there were definitely like some, some undercover cops that weren't so undercover, in there, you know. Oh, got just it, yeah. some dudes just really have the vibe yeah. of mm-hmm. being a cop, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I didn't find out till I got out of the theater. I got out of the theater and I found out about the uh, Aurora shooting. Oh shit! So yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It was just oh, my friends went to that theater all the time. My friends that live in Aurora. Oh really? Yeah, shit. it's not too far from where I am. Jesus. Um, I remember but, uh, you were upset that it had to happen in Colorado again because of Columbine. Columbine. And then this. Oh, yeah. That's right. And yeah. it was it was tough watching the movie, too, when they do the stock exchange scene and they're firing guns and stuff after having, 
you know, it's just these loud bangs inside of the movie theater and everybody's freaking out like that could happen to them. It was, yeah. it was a weird dread that hung over this movie as well, I remember. Yeah. So I guess I'm fortunate that I didn't that I didn't find out about it until after I got out because I yeah. didn't. I saw it in the, you know, I walked out of the theater, found out about it, but I never really had the experience of like, what if this happens? Like, I didn't really get that experience until, you know, all the all the security around Joker. Uh, last year on that where like I, right. I wasn't really thinking about it beforehand but it's uh it is interesting that there is that line and it, it kind of calls back to the the dark knight returns moment where he criticizes the sons of batman for using for using guns and he's like these are the weapons of our enemy right which is a great mm-hmm. panel in that mm-hmm. uh also in this fight sequences it's this is one of the times this might be one of the one of the worst uh, or worst uh, fight sequences in the trilogy because this is this is, this is the ones where people find the gifts of the background actors just falling on their own uh, when they're fighting during the fight fight choreography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. like really nobody caught that. Nobody said like, "Hey, this didn't work." Whatever the case is, mind though. bullets. Yes, that man <laughs> shot his mind bullets out at Wonder everybody. Wonder boy. <laughs> But Batman uh, rescues Catwoman, puts her in the bat, and talks to her. And at one point, Catwoman disappears on him. And he's like, so that's what that feels like. Which right, right, right. is a direct lift from Kingdom Come. Uh, where, not with Catwoman, but Superman actually does that to Bruce. Which I thought was that's cool. That's awesome. I, for- I forgot about that, yeah. yeah. Which I think is even cooler, because like Batman's known for doing that to his friends. Uh, and so Superman, in a way, is kind of just like getting back at him in a small way, as opposed, way to, yeah. yeah as opposed to Catwoman who's like she's, this is her first time talking to Batman type of thing it still works in both scenarios but you know as somebody who's obviously pro comics on all this stuff I'm just like eh like I like the context of the other version better uh, and of course Kingdom Come also features an older Bruce Wayne who also has to wear a brace type of thing and uh, that version of Bruce Wayne is actually sort of like it's explained that he didn't recover from Bane's attack in that version that's why he's just all fucked up ah uh... So, he so, didn't have somebody just kick his back into place. No, <laughs> apparently Alfred couldn't do that at the time. So, because they broke up. Yeah, which leads us into the next part. There is the big scene of Alfred leaving Bruce, which is one of you know I crap on this movie a lot, but this, this scene is so well done with Michael Caine. Like this is one of Michael Caine's best scenes in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. and I it does Michael have Caine. Michael Caine. I promised them that I would protect you, and I haven't. I still, I can't do the broken voice. Have you seen the uh, the trip with uh, Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Brydon, where they they do Michael Caine impressions, but they specifically spend like two minutes trying to read, trying to replicate Michael Caine's like broken really? crying voice. Yeah, right out of Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> so, yeah, Alfred giving notice to be like, "Hey, I'm leaving you," is actually something that happened in Nightfall in the in the Nightfall storyline. Where uh, in that version, it was a little different. Bane had already broken Bruce's back. Uh, but Bruce was trying to save his girlfriend, uh, Dr. Chandra, consulting. And uh, he was still trying to do it, even though, despite his injuries. And Alfred uh, just ended up saying, like, look, I'm leaving if it shows you that you need to stop this. Stop. I'm not going to support you killing yourself type of thing. So it's very similar uh, to that. Again, I'm not really going to do a Kong versus Nolan thing because it's, it's so similar. It, it might as well be the same on this uh, comics <laughs> comics yes <laughs> my default <laughs> 10 to 0 no no like it'd be next one would be number 7 but anyway uh, 
it's after this that because of the stock exchange thing, Bruce like loses all his money. He loses his company, the car, his house, the electricity in the house. Like he loses everything in like a single day, which uh, seems kind of unrealistic. But uh, he's like actually, being rich sucks. Yeah, <laughs> all gets taken away from him because of the stock exchange. But uh, this idea of Bruce actually losing Wayne Enterprises and potentially even Wayne Manor, all his belongings, his fortune, uh, actually comes from a story called Down to the Bone. And the villain wasn't Bane at the time because it was in the 80s. It was Hugo Strange, one of my favorites. Uh, Hugo Strange basically was the first villain to try to quote-unquote break Batman before uh, years before Bane or Hush or Dr. Hurt or any of those guys. So that's sort of where it, it ties in here. Uh, but here he uh, he's gradually losing everything and it kind of ties back into the whole class warfare type shit. Uh, and Bruce decides to kind of trust Miranda Tate after meeting her like once at the uh, costume party with a potential <laughs> nuclear bomb. There's just something about her that I really trust. I don't know what it could be. Could be two reasons why. <laughs> two reasons. Perhaps, perhaps three. Really thinking about it. But um, <laughs> yeah. Um, also notable in the Wayne Enterprises scene, but uh, we didn't. We didn't really talk about him in Batman Begins because he's a small part but there's this old British dude who's part of the Wayne board who you see in Batman Begins as well in Dark Knight Rises named Fredericks uh, and he's notable because he's played by John Nolan who is the uncle to Chris and Jonathan Nolan uh, ah. and uh, he was also a villain in Jonathan Nolan's series Person of Interest but it's kind of cool they brought him back and I think uh as well as the fact that Senator Patrick Leahy, who we talked about in The Dark Knight, he's the guy yes. who was like, we don't you know, talk to thugs. Uh, he's also on the Wayne board here, so I guess that explains who he was supposed to be in The Dark Knight. So those are kind of cool callbacks. Um, and then Blake gives Bruce a ride, and I want to get your guys' opinion on this. So Bruce tells Blake, hey, Batman could be anybody. That was the point. Which is kind of cool, but also I'm like, it seems a little contradictory, though, to how, like, in The Dark Knight, he see, he sees all these copycasts, and he's like, yeah, that wasn't really what I meant by inspiring people. So I'm like, what then did he really mean there? And now he's asking, please, won't somebody help me? Please. Please, somebody help me. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts. What if I I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm in foreign jail. <laughs> and I can't get a hold of my butler. <laughs> It's a callback to Begins, I think, where it's talking about it's a it's an idea, it's a symbol, so it's not just a man. So I think that that part tracks, right, <laughs> at least he, a little I bit. I wanted you know? to be a symbol to to uh, shake people out of apathy, and I think he wanted to be inspiring people. Like uh, he wanted to inspire civilians. I think that was what he was saying in The Dark Knight. Like when yeah. he, when he sees the copycats, he's like, "That's not exactly what I meant by inspiring people." He wanted Harvey to be the one to lead the way so that I'm trying to get you to vote. <laughs> Dick, isn't it obvious what the costume <laughs> symbolizes? <laughs> so yeah, I mean I was kind of mixed on this. I'm just like it's kind of cool, but mm, some of it tracks, some of it I'm like uh like is it a is it just about Batman? To me there's a difference between Batman inspiring other people to fight for themselves versus Batman could be anybody as in like does he mean that anybody could don the cowl? Like, I think this gets... The main reason why this becomes more of a point is because of the fact that Blake takes over at the end. You need the training, though. That's the thing. Yeah. You know what thing. I mean? You need, to, you need to have the League of Assassins training. Yeah, I don't think... Or Blake's something similar. Yeah. Blake's Police Academy yeah. training is not going to cut it. 
Oh, man, topical there, brother. I was talking about oh, police no. training not being enough. Oh, oh <laughs> yes. How political do we want to get? Well, Blake also accidentally shoots a guy in this movie. <laughs> oh, so. man. See, there we go again, Ben, with the political statements. Wow. Why you got to be doing I'm that? Just in saying, this? I'm just saying what happens in the movie. <laughs> Don't blame me. Blame Chris Nolan. God, this movie is prophetic as hell, huh? Blake, yeah. yeah. Blake gets called a hothead again by Foley in the hospital, but uh, he doesn't seem like a hothead ever. By the way, yeah, he seems no. calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> exactly. He's just a hothead. Yeah. Can't you see how much but. of a hothead he looks like? <laughs> Steam coming out of his ears. A hothead. If I ever seen one. Yeah. It's like Oscar Isaac being like Poe Dameron being called hotshot flyboy like a thousand fucking times. <laughs> okay, he's a good pilot. Like that, you kind of have to have. Yeah. Like you're. It's like. They're, they're shitting on a guy for the qualities he needs for his job. Yeah, like, I know, right? <laughs> that's a, I, that shit kills me, man. But yeah, Gordon promotes Blake to detective here in the hospital, uh, which was cool, and also signs of just how prominent of a role Blake would have, because I think, I remembered watching this movie, and I think there was always the suspicion that he was Robin, but I, I, it surprised me just how much of Blake was in this, from like scene to scene, where I was just like, this kind of feels like Blake is the protagonist of this movie, more than Batman sometimes. He's going to be Robin. He's going to be Robin. He's going to be Robin. Bruce does go back home, and that's where Miranda Tate shows up, and then they just kind of sleep together uh, in Wayne Manor, which... Batman Fox? I always had an issue with, because I'm just like, if Talia wanted to revenge on Batman, couldn't she just killed him there? Like, I'm just like, why did she have to go through this whole other thing? Like, she had him. She literally had him right there. Dude, uh, Bruce just did something for her in that time, man. She yeah. just <laughs> forgot entirely, bro. I forgot that's about what my I, revenge. That's, how, that's what I read into it, man. Sex was that good, I guess. That's one. That's the other superpower. That's <laughs> that, that's that's a superpower right there. Ra's al Ghul also taught that to me. Yeah. <laughs> Superman's got the amnesia kiss, and he's got the amnesia dick. <laughs> <laughs> League of Shadows also also comes with the League of Sheets. <laughs> Damn, timing was off, but you get what you I would mean. Think, you would think Vitalia would know that, though, given that was her <laughs> belief. There was some speculation at the time the that... The sheets. Yeah. There's some speculation the at the time that uh, Talia, if there was a, a nine-month period between that and when Batman came back, there could have been a possibility that she gave birth to a Damien in between before she gets killed at the end. I think that was just wishful thinking on the fanboy's part. That's, but, yeah, they didn't get that far. I yeah, think. I don't think so. But uh, what's interesting is that Nolan wanted uh, Marion Cotillard for this so badly uh, that when her pregnancy kind of knocked her out of the running, he pushed the filming of all her scenes back by a month just to accommodate her on this. Wow. So that's loyalty right there, even if he that's cool. cast a white woman as somebody who's historically a person of color. But anyway... On the mm. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, jeez, man. You gotta get political again. Oh, my God. I don't like that. No one is a racialist. <laughs> we oh. did talk last time how, how Zoe Kravitz wasn't able to audition because she was too urban, according to the casting director. Too urban. That's going to be on the next t-shirt. Yeah. Hollywood. Get ready. She should honestly wear that to the premiere of the Batman, being mm-hmm. like, hey, I wasn't even even allowed to audition for The Dark Knight Rises because of being too urban. Now I'm fucking Catwoman. Dude, just like, even if they wanted to get a white woman, choose some other wording, bro. Like, the <laughs> the, ur- the urban thing, it, it drives me crazy, and I'm white. Like, why couldn't they have just said 
that hey you were already in x-men first class so <laughs> we thought that might be distracting like that would make more sense something i yeah. mean you know they they yeah just whatever yeah. it's the ghost of bob kane that got <laughs> into that gap between david goyer's teeth <laughs> You see, we already had one black cat woman, and that was enough, you see. Too urban, too urban, he yelled. She was too urban at the time. Uh, But Batman does meet up with Catwoman, where she double-crosses him and leads him into Bane's trap. Now, Catwoman and Bane did actually form an alliance in the Nightfall storyline, but they never actually, it never involved betraying Batman, or Batman wasn't even involved in what they were working on. So there is some precedent, though, for her working with him and sort of working with him out of fear at one point. Uh, and it's here that uh, Bane says, like, you know, let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> and then that's when he reveals that he knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. And uh, it's not really explained how, but it's presumably a similar thing to the comics where Bane figured it out based off of his own deductions, based off of the fact that Bruce Wayne would have the wealth as well as the psychological background. The League talks, dude. The yep. League talks to each other. Pretty they might much. not. They might not let that info leak outside of the league because it's like, even mm-hmm. if they're against Batman, maybe they're against that. But yeah. Bane being initiated, yeah. I could see this sort of working. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I can kind of see it. Uh, in this version, Bruce and Bane fight in the sewer, which turns out to be underneath Wayne Tower. And uh, this is where we have the famous backbreaking scene where Andrew's dad completely missed it because he <laughs> turned around at the wrong time. For just a two seconds, literally. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. It still kills me to this day. Go back to the first episode to yeah, hear yeah, exactly. more about that. Yeah. Uh, but this goes into the next uh, Comics versus Nolan thing, which is the breaking of Batman's back. So this is obviously from Nightfall, uh, written by the uh, issue written by Doug Mensch and illustrated by Jim Every Aparo. time I read the name Nightfall, it's Nightfall. Nightfall. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> Where's that from? I don't know. It's just how I read it. Do you okay. ever read words with a certain reading? Just I guess so, yeah. Some, I don't know why. Well, in Nightfall, there's a, time, <laughs> <laughs> there's a part where uh, Bane deliberately breaks open Arkham Asylum so that Batman will be completely overworked by all the rogues gallery villains uh, and that he'll be ready for Bane to just show up and completely destroy him. And sort of as a strategic method on Bane's part. In the movie, it's very different where Bane sort of uses Catwoman to lead Batman over there. And while in the comics, Batman's not able to fight very well with Bane due to the fact that he's been fighting Scarecrow, Joker, Ventriloquist, Mr. Zazz, Riddler, like everybody. Uh, here, it's because of the fact that Batman is kind of overconfident as well as has that death wish that I think Bane calls him out on over here. So, there's, like, the general idea is still there, but in terms of what's a more impressive plan, you think, from Bane's strategic standpoint? Comics versus Nolan, starting with uh, Wolfie. Um, I, overall, <laughs> I didn't really dig the plan in the movie very much anyway, so I'm going to go comics. Okay. Um, I feel the same way, of course, but, <laughs> you know, I think also, like, just to have more of a comment than... It sucked. Like, um, basically, uh, you know, if you had, like, all those people show up, yeah, maybe it would have been cool, but I can see Nolan not thinking that's really part of his universe, like having so many extra characters show up. Well, I guess he had to fucking all show up in the court scene at the end, so or near the end, so maybe that was that was something. But I don't know. I, I can sort of understand this decision. Mm-hmm. Sort of. 
But uh, like he, he the other the other thing I read here is that Batman a he's not used to fighting because he's been out for eight years. Uh, B yeah. he, he's overpowered by anger. He's screaming a lot in this scene. That was my other and thing. Yeah. I I think Bane is smart enough to know that. Like if you're overly emotional in a fight, you can take advantage of that shit. So Bane, being the smart guy that he is, it's a it's a it's a strategy in and of itself. It's like some some Musashi shit. Like yeah. if you go into a battle kind of cold and calculated, you're probably going to win over the guy that's really emotional. So, um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of factors there, but yeah. you know, that's one advantage you can take it. Something you can take advantage of is the other person's other person being too emotional. So I I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I thought that was no, kind of cool. I I agree. I think Batman's it kind of almost comes off as more reckless in here yeah, than what you'd yeah, be used yeah. to. It'd be more, there'd be more of an explanation if this was Batman, like, right after Rachel died or something like that. Like, yeah. Batman, we last time we saw him this out of control was when he was in the interrogation room with Joker, but that made sense in a way because he had just found out that Rachel had been taken hostage. So, I would understand why his emotions are flaring up. Here, it's like, Bane hasn't really done anything super personal to him. Yes. I mean, maybe it's yeah. the taking away of, of his fortune, but that's small in comparison to the losses that he's gone through in the past. So uh, I didn't really care for Batman sort of being this reckless and just throwing, because I don't really associate that. Like, if anything, we associate the other way around with Batman being the strategic fighter and all the thugs, like, screaming and trying to get to him and that type of thing uh, with that. Also, uh, how it should have ended, the how it should have ended version of Dark Knight Rises on YouTube had a fantastic point where uh, Batman could have just used those drugged batarangs that he uses on the thugs later on uh, on Bane if he really wanted to. So that's the other thing on it. Um, Another weird thing about this is uh, there's many scenes beforehand where Lucius Fox talks about how applied sciences and R&D have been off the books for years or sort of off the grid or whatever. So it's never really explained how Bane sort of knows where the armory is. It's not like that's something that Ra's al Ghul would have known because Ra's didn't... Ra's wasn't really part of that part. It wasn't part of his plan in the previous stuff. So that's kind of a mystery. You could just chalk it up to Bane's strategic planning. Uh, but yeah, my vote... Oh yeah, my vote is also to the comics on this one, uh, obviously. For <laughs> you <Bane>. don't say. <laughs> Very shocking. Um, shocking. Shocking, yes. I think there's a, some other elements to uh, that influence this not just with the Bane stuff, but with the Dark Knight Returns and the cult. So in the Dark Knight Returns, uh, Batman decides to go up against the mutant gang leader, despite the fact that Alfred tells him, like, you know, he's young and you're too old, like, you're, you're not going to survive. And then Batman gets his ass kicked and then has to prepare for a rematch. Similar thing happens to the cult, actually, where Batman is sort of broken down by Deacon Blackfire uh, and has to sort of heal and have a rematch at the end. So all the, all this stuff is very similar just structurally to that. Uh, but, I mean, it, it comes with the territory as well, to the fact that he's going to get defeated by Bane and he's going to come back uh, for those types of things. So it's, it's natural for there to be those parallels. But when he is, yeah, when, when his back is broken, Bane sends him to the pit, which is where he <laughs> grew up. And uh, he tells him, you know, when Gotham is ashes, then you have my permission to die, which is actually a line in the comics. Uh, what? Funny I, enough, I thought yeah. Nolan made that up. Yeah, no, it's 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 a deep cut. But in uh, issue Detective Comics 489 uh, called Where Strike the Assassins, the League of Assassins leader 
named the sensei says you have my permission to die or then you have my permission to die uh before he's about to kill somebody uh and that was written by the late denny o'neill who passed away the week of this recording so rest in peace denny o'neill this is our little i wanted to sneak in a little tribute to the man who reinvented uh not only reinvented batman and joker and everything but denny o'neill was the editor at dc during a time of a lot of these uh major storylines that were coming out that influenced the dark knight rises as well as all the other stuff he's the one who co-created Razal go and talia so obviously that wouldn't have happened he's the one who uh invented or sort of made joker more of a homicidal maniac in the 70s and without that we would not have gotten the dark knight so oh, well, that's cool so that's where we're at yeah uh, Danny! We're, in, we're in the we're in the pit now so uh i always thought it would have been cooler though if because i'm just like he wants Batman. He basically wants to destroy Gotham and kill Batman or have revenge on Batman. Why would you send him in a prison on the other side of the world just to watch it get destroyed when you could just have him get destroyed within the city? So I know sometimes we've been talking about, like, you know, how would we have rewritten it? I think it would have been cooler if he threw him into Arkham. Oh, yeah. This that would have been cool. Yeah. That would have been cool. Maybe yeah. instead of Scarecrow doing the, the trial shit, Scarecrow is running. Arkham for Bane in this. Damn, that Which, is a lot better. Because <laughs> like, why would why the fuck is Scarecrow a judge? That's Here's what I was thing. wondering. Who? Yeah. What is this pit? I never understood this in my whole premise. Like, is this like the prison? Is this like Arkham for uh, the League? Is this where the League sends their own prisoners? Who are these other guys in there? Exactly. It seems to be Middle Eastern a little bit too. Like, what is just what the fuck is going on in and this whole thing? Notice there's no prison guards whatsoever. Yeah, they just have to get out. Like, if you can get out, then you get out. Who delivers their food? Do they just drop it by a helicopter? Like, I just don't... Like, this whole prison pit thing, I just never understood. No, they just agreed. They needed it yeah. because of the Rises thing, I guess. Like, I don't I don't know. They could have done something like that with an Arkham, in my opinion. Like, yeah, if they yeah. Re, if, if Bane and Scarecrow remodel Arkham, then that would be cool. You could even bring back uh, Wilkinson and his Falcone in there. You could right. bring back Zaz in there if Heath Ledger was alive that would have been cool if Joker's like I brought this up on the the pod before the idea of like if Ledger's Joker was there and he was just like well I can't let Bane defeat you so I guess I gotta help you get out (laughs) type of thing that would have been cool so that would have been amazing man yeah Yeah. but whatever I didn't write it but in this case there was definitely (laughs) since we were talking about Joker there was definitely a sense of you know what's gonna happen because that was kind of a dangling plot thread he literally said you and i are destined to do this forever and yeah. his plan kind of went haywire when batman decided to take on the blame for harvey dent's crimes at the end of the dark knight you would think the joker would have some sort of retaliation on that but given the fact that heath had died it, it's it was kind of a murky territory so when asked about it nolan uh said this to entertainment weekly <laughs> i felt very strongly that the joker was off limits I don't want to trivialize a tragedy like that by explaining it away in some fashion. I made the choice immediately. Talking about the Joker was off the table. It's just the way I feel about it, okay? Based on my relationship with Heath. You sound like the mustached British Lord dude who's just disapproving of his son marrying like that poor woman. (laughs) I just approve. I'd rather you marry a dwarf. I don't know. You are royalty. (laughs) You are royalty. You are baron. (laughs) 
but that is uh i think that's probably a good place to leave off batman has been broken nice. he's been sent to the pit whose rules have never explained but whatever and now gotham is bane's for the taking so uh so far <laughs> i think our score for comics versus movie is like what seven to zero seven to zero something like that gotcha i don't know man <laughs> It's not looking good for the not movie. Good for right. the six, six to zero. No, seven to zero. Seven. I want. The I want the movie to get right. one. I actually, I, I want to see what if we have an upset somewhere. Yeah. Along the way, see, it'll make it more interesting for the, the listeners. But <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find. Maybe to <laughs> engineer that question. I might. Yeah, I might try to <laughs> deliberately find something where just like in the comics, Bruce didn't wasn't able to get out of the pit <laughs> or something. Like yeah, that. something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So. I don't Bruce know. dies we'll in the see. pit. Yep. Bruce dies in the pit in this Elseworlds. <laughs> Comics versus Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some social media shout outs in terms of thank you for your support. We'd like to thank uh, on YouTube a listener named Walter the Wobot. Uh, on Twitter, there is Triple Threat Comics. Thank you for liking our tweets. Uh, and on Instagram, we have uh, Rodden2800, who is the only one who guessed correctly that we were going to have an episode related to the Arkham Riddler on our Instagram when we asked guess what this is about so good job to you for solving the riddle Uh, Luca Zek 2 and Creative Cam Art thank you for your support on Instagram and you can find me at Ben Juan Ryder on Instagram and you can find us on social media at Superhero Stuff Pod on Instagram as well as Superhero I'm sorry Super House Pod on Twitter over to Andrew. All right, everybody, please join the Shasta Army. That's the $1 tier on patreon.com slash superhousepodcast. And I'd like to once again thank Kuki Noms, Matt Herring, and Elijah B. And uh, please leave us a review in iTunes if you can. That'd be great. And also, if you could just take out your phone, use your voice recorder app. I'm sure you already have it. It comes standard on a lot of phones. And just record something like like a bumper that we've been using, uh, and you could just say like superhero stuff you should know is awesome, or I love superhero stuff you should know, anything like that, and then share that voice recording to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. I am. Uh, oh, and you can become part of the show in that way. We will definitely use it as long as it's not too incriminating. I think. And then um. And uh, what else we got? Oh yeah, so I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, check us out on YouTube. We have a lot of stuff there. If you're, some of, a lot of us are joining us through YouTube, so thanks for that. And um, we're gonna have more and more original content on there soon. Just search for Superhouse Podcast or Superhero Stuff. You should know on YouTube, and you will find us. Got stuff there all the time. And uh, to Wolfie. Yo, this Wolfie. Um, go join the overly critical, hyperanalytical movie club on Facebook. We got a new podcast going on for that as well. Check that out. Uh, Superhouse Network, baby. Superhouse Networks, baby. Nice. <laughs> signing off. Boom, signing off. This has been brought to you by the Superhouse Podcast Network. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show... Uh, or the Superhouse Podcast Network, uh, go to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash superhousepodcast. Yeah.